everybody, this is Jamie Uretsky in Overland Park, Kansas. When you hear that music, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And we are just a couple of days away from opening day. Yes, opening day for real. Not the opening day, which was the Ichiro Suzuki retirement party, but the day when everybody has a chance to win the World Series. Everybody starts off the same, except... In the case of the Oakland Athletics, eh, they're two games out of first place after a quick trip to Japan, a quick double-dip loss at the Tokyo Dome, and thousands, maybe millions, will say they were at the Tokyo Dome on the night that Ichiro finished his playing career. And how many guys are there in baseball that should go by their first name and you know who they are? Now, A-Rod, but that's really not his first name. Uh, You got Babe, but he was really George. You got Hank or Henry, but, you know, he's Henry Aaron. But Ichiro, Ichiro is the guy you know with that name, and he's a Hall of Famer. First time, first ballot, probably get 90 to 95% of the votes. I don't think he'll get 100 But anyway, what do I know? So, he retired. He didn't exactly go out like the splendid splinter. Yes, you know who I'm talking about. Ted Williams, Teddy Ballgame. Hit a home run his last at bat. Pretty fitting. Ichiro, eh, 6-3 put out. And in the uh, at bat before that in the seventh inning, he struck out. But nonetheless, spectacular career, not only in the United States of America, but also in Japan. He combined for more hits than Pete Rose, the hit king, and uh, pretty cool. But that's really not what we're going to be talking about today on this particular podcast. This podcast was going to be podcast number 10. And as you know out there, my loyal listeners understand that each podcast, I give it a number, and then I talk about some of my favorite numbers, number 10 in this instance, will be the subject of the next podcast. But today, and today only, we're going to honor one of my favorite number 10s. No, not Ron Santo, which was right up there as really, really, really a favorite of mine. Not Sherm Lawler, the slow but gifted catcher for the Chicago White Sox in 1959. As you know, we're celebrating the 60-year anniversary of the Go-Go White Sox. But no, number 10, retired by the Kansas City Royals, was the manager who took them to the 1985 World Series champion, none other than Dick Hauser. And Dick Hauser has been the subject of this podcast before. As you'll recall... Uh, One of the great Dave Nelson stories involved Dave as a rookie with the Cleveland Indians and going to his first major league camp during spring training. He had this old glove that could barely function as a glove, and Dick Hauser, one of the veterans on the Cleveland Indians, uh, noticed that Dave was playing with antiquated equipment, I suppose you could say, and he came over to Dave, and this was uncommon because back then veterans really didn't like rookies. Uh, Number one, guys weren't getting Mike Trout kind of money, and so 
they weren't that happy when somebody was uh, threatening to take their job. But nonetheless, uh, Dick came over to Dave, asked him where he got that glove. Dave said he got it probably in a garage sale in Watts and used it ever since. So Dick gave him his glove. And from that point on, Dave never forgot that great gesture. And it sort of was a model for Dave. And Dave, I think, kind of incorporated that in being nice to everybody he came in contact with, even rookies when Dave was playing for his big-time contract of $50,000 a year. Wow. I was laughing. You know, there'll come a time when Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Machado think that uh, they just were born at the wrong time. And the uh, if only they had been born in the year 3,025 when players were getting who knows how many billions a year to hit. But I digress. We're going to feature an interview that I was lucky enough to do of Dick Hauser back in 1986 in March after the Royals won the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals in 1985. Dick was a client of our law firm, and I was fortunate enough to get the assignment to go down to Florida and do a video interview with Dick uh, so that we would play it back at a seminar that the firm did uh, in Kansas City. And so my job, as difficult as it was, was to head down to Florida, hang around spring training, follow Dick around for a few days until he had a minute or two to give us an interview that would be played back in Kansas City for this seminar. And so that's exactly what I did. And as you know, I am very much into baseball memorabilia bats, balls, programs, ticket stubs, you name it. But my favorite bit of memorabilia is the DVD interview from 1986 that I did with Dick Hauser. Because, uh, not because of the questioner, i.e. me, but because of Dick's answers. And I will give you a little synopsis of the interview and a few of the uh, inherent problems from the videotaping of this interview back in 1986. Uh, number one, this podcast doesn't have the ability to show you this spectacular DVD, so all we can do is play the recording. The recording was done by our firm videographer without really much filtering of the wind. And so as a result, it's difficult to hear and sort of annoying to listen to some of the uh, interview because of the wind whistling around uh, Sarasota, Florida, where the Royals were taking on the Chicago White Sox in a spring training game. When I caught up to Dick, we started the video interview, and we really didn't have the time or the luxury to check the audio quality of the interview. So all I can say is it's it's a interview that was done in a relaxed environment. It was an interview that wasn't a journalistic you know, Pulitzer Prize, but it was an interview where you can really see the personality of Dick. You can really hear the quality of his answers and an eerie segment of the interview towards the end where we're talking about contracts for managers in baseball. I will tell you, 
that unfortunately Dick contracted brain cancer at some point in the uh, 1985 season and really didn't know about it until the All-Star break when he was destined to manage the American League All-Star team having won the World Series in 1985. Dick was unable to make that game and never managed again due to this illness. Dick passed away shortly after the new year in 1987 and he was survived by his wife Nancy and children. Dick was a great, great guy. This interview, even though the wind kind of makes it difficult at times to listen, really captures his personality and really captures his um, fondness for the game of baseball. We did get into the uh, lifetime contracts of certain members of the Royals. Dick talked about the lifespan of a, of a manager, which is kind of eerie. And um, he talked a lot about the, uh, the 1985 World Series, which is just exactly what we were hoping he would do. And finally, as a backdrop, uh, this was the same time period that my family purchased the Omaha Royals. And so we had a vested interest in what Royals were going to come to Omaha that year. We had certainly more than a passing curiosity as to uh, who the makeup was going to be of the Omaha Royals. But more importantly, it was a chance to get to share some time with, with Dick Hauser. It was a chance for our law firm to uh, get to see a, an interview, which, which I think uh, was high quality in terms of the answers given. And so I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to play this recording from 1986. And again, let me just suggest to you that you bear with the wind and listen to the 10 or 15 minutes of this uh, interview because I think it's well worth it. So without any further ado, let me introduce to you number 10, the former manager of the world champion, Kansas City Royals, Dick Hauser. Hello everybody, we're down here in sunny, uh, actually we're in Sarasota, we were in Fort Myers yesterday and it's about 95 to 100 degrees and uh, we put on shirts and long, long coast to pull everybody. We're here with uh, Dick Hauser, and Dick, it's nice to have you take a few minutes off from spring training and, and say a few words thank to you, us. Thank you, Jimmy. So, uh, we're up here for a B game, and we were playing a White Sox later on this afternoon, but I would like to say hello to Mike and Paul and everybody at the seminar. It's, it's going to be a long day for us, but a doubleheader, we got a chance to win two games. Well, I'll tell you what, just uh, going back yesterday, was a long day for me, yeah. and I'm sure it was for you. Just to bring everybody up to date, that uh, was a strange game. It ended one-to-one, -one, and I've never seen a team walk off the field, especially yeah, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's Unfortunately, uh, things like that do happen in baseball. A lot of people look at the baseball games, even in spring training, and they think some of the players are just going through the motions. It's not that at all. We had an incident yesterday uh, against the White Sox that, uh, Unfortunately, Carl Fisk was hit with a pitch ball, and evidently Tony Larusa and their ball club thought we were throwing at him. So we had a, we had a little throwing incident, and uh, I ran out of pitchers. I had David Cohn, who's a Rockhurst High School graduate in Kansas City, 
was my last pitcher. We've had some B games lately, and, and uh, you can only have so many pitchers, four or five for each day. Well, he was our fourth pitcher, and uh, he threw a ball. We had him, uh, for some reason, he threw a ball up against the backstop over the hitter's head, and, and I went out and explained to the umpires once he was ejected from the game and I was thrown out of the game that we didn't have any more pitchers, so we just had to leave, and the game ended in a 1-1 tie. But we play the White Sox again today, and I'm sure there won't be any hard feelings today. For some reason, once again, I think Fisk had been hit a couple of days in a row, and, and I didn't even know about the other incident. He, they claimed that an American League team hit him the day before, but that's baseball. That kind of spices up spring training a little bit. Well, tell us about the Royals for 1986 and how you think they're going to uh, compare with the Western Division of the American League. Well, and I, yeah, I feel they do I mean, it's, good, it's a good question, and everybody's asked me, can we repeat? What can we do? I, I tell everybody. One thing about it, we're the only club that has a chance to do it again. Uh, 26 clubs in baseball. We were the world champions last year. I don't think we're going to suffer from overconfidence the way we scraped through last year. But I think our players understand that if we can stay healthy and if our pitching staff stays intact, we have a chance. Uh, Jamie, as good as our pitching was last year, uh, to be even a little bit better this year. I know that's asking an awful lot, but we may have to do that to repeat because we live and die with our pitching staff. Everybody knows we'd like to be able to score more runs. Uh, unless we make a trade or, or something that I don't anticipate in the next couple of weeks, we're probably going to have trouble scoring runs. But I'd rather have it this way. I'd rather have strong pitching and a good defense and have to scramble to score runs. Had you uh, penciled in an imaginary lineup with Kirk Gibson and right field? No, not really. I can't say anything oh. about that because the organization, which is all right with me, once they make a decision uh, with this free agent thing, it was our organization just, just said, well, Dick, we're not going to sign any free agents this year. And, and to be honest with you, uh, Daryl Motley and Pat Sheridan did it in 1984. If they could give us the same kind of year, give themselves the same kind of year in, in 86 as they had in 84, there's no reason we can't be a better club offensively. What about the uh, the pitching staff? I know you've got some tough decisions to make in the next couple of days, narrowing it down. Are you going to go north with nine or ten pitchers, or have you decided? Well, it looks like right now we haven't made a final decision, as it has been rumored, and it looks like we're going to do the same thing. It looks like clubs are going to go north with 24 this year. I've always been in favor of a nine-man staff. I think with the, a bunch of young starters that we have, our guys are able to take us into the seventh and eighth inning a lot of games. And, and to carry ten pitchers when I need an extra bat, when you have trouble scoring runs, it doesn't make sense to me. So if you look at our ball club right now, that we're, we're not even at the midway point in spring training, but I would have to say the five starters in this order will probably be Saberhagen, Lee Brandt, Jackson, Gubazah, and Bud Black. Uh, and there's not much difference in one and five. Steve Park did such a good job for us in middle relief. Uh, as a spot starter, he'll be number six. And, of course, we have Dan Quisenberry to finish ball games. So with a nine-man staff, you don't have to be a genius. There's only really two spots open. Mm -hmm. We've got nine guys competing for two spots, seven and eight on this pitching staff. So that's just about how our pitching stands right now. Well, not that I'm not uh, interested in the Omaha Royals, but obviously with uh, two spots left and people like Bankhead, Beckwith, Leonard, and Huseman, and go on and on. You've got the luxury of having a lot of great pitching and a lot of depth. I know that you haven't made that decision yet, but certainly any chance that you'll uh, pick up uh, the 10th pitcher and go with the 25-man as the season gets on. I don't think road. so. I don't see that happening right now. To be honest, if we went to 25, Jamie, we'd probably stay with a nine-man staff anyway. It's kind of interesting. You brought up Bankhead. You brought up a young man named David Cohn who was involved in an incident yesterday from Rockhurst High School in Kansas City. If these two guys, Scott Bankhead and and, uh, and David Cohn, were starting in spring training just two years ago and had the same opportunity that Saberhagen and Gubazon and Danny Jackson had, uh, I would think they'd probably both go north with us, at least one of the two. They have pitched that well. Their numbers are that good. 
and we feel real good about our pitching in this organization. To be honest with you, we don't have a lot of position players right now, but we're awfully strong pitching-wise. So Scott Bankhead and David Cohn have been very, very impressive young pitchers, and, and if they don't pitch for us this year uh, to start the season and do pitch at Omaha, I wouldn't be surprised at all that somewhere during the season they're not pitching in the big leagues. One of the two of them, maybe both of them. Tell us the difference, if you would, Dick, between uh, winter of '85 and winter of '84 for Dick Howe. Well, it was—it's—it was been—it's been a very positive off-season for me, with except the fact that my mom, the day after the World Series in Kansas City, my mom underwent open-heart surgery a week later at St. Luke's in Kansas at the, at the Mid-America Heart Institute, and I stayed in Kansas City a bit longer. I, I didn't get home until December 20th. I travel about a third of the time anyway in the winter time, a third to, to a half the time I'm traveling. But it was a very positive winter. You know, people didn't say, well, you're one hit or two short, or if you just had that extra guy in the bullpen. Uh, the, most, the most popular thing, uh, the, uh, the most uh, vogue thing that people would say would be like, well, we knew you were going to do it. Well, I didn't. Sometimes, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, scratching my head and wonder how we did it. But it was a very positive offseason. Everywhere I went, Chicago, New York, I had a chance to go to Pensacola and, and, and Shreveport, Louisiana, or Orlando, Florida back to Kansas City twice, people are in a good frame of mind about the Royals. And I'd and I like to say this, and not only just for the Royal players and the ball club and the organization, that World Series victory did a lot for the Midwest and Kansas City. I don't think it could have ended up a better way. Uh, the two favorites probably for the media would have been the Yankees and the Dodgers. Uh, and it ended up two, two small little farm towns in the Midwest, two great cities in the Midwest. And, and I think a lot of people understand now that you don't have to be in New York or, or Chicago or Los Angeles to play good baseball. There are a lot of people playing good baseball in the major leagues. Well, when you're sitting awake at night with uh, Nancy, and you think about Dinkinger and Jack Clark and, uh, and the thought of Dane Orth comes to your mind, what, what sort of special feelings do you, uh, do you have about that? You know, the most impressive, the, two, the two most impressive things about the World Series, and the playoffs really, but about the World Series, the, the most important thing is that I, I would say that the 14 games that we played postseason, and, and a lot of games in September, but when I go back and look at the 14-7 against Toronto, League Championship Series, the 7 that we played uh, against the, the National League champions, an outstanding ball club, the St. Louis Cardinals, we played as good as we can play. We can't play any better than that. As a manager, that's all you can ask for. You know, some guys didn't hit a little bit, but I think if you look at the way we played defensively, our pitching for 14 games was very, very good. That's number one, that we played our best baseball at the end of the season under a lot of pressure. Secondly, that the people, the Cardinal fans out there that complain about they were either in a slump or the umpire gave them the shaft or whatever, I don't buy all that. The St. Louis Cardinals had 185 for seven games. You can't hit 185 and win, win in seven games. It's awfully tough to do. So two things. We played our best baseball. We don't have a dominant club, but our pitching staff dominated the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. What did you think? And this is the only tactical question I'll ask you because I know that every well, you're decision... You're not very tactical anyway. <laughs> every decision... Now, come on, Houser. Every decision you made seemed to work out there at the end. You got a few uh, uh, votes of uh, doubt from the oh, fans yeah, on some of your... And the media. Pinch in. about the umpire. You know what? I'm serious. You know, the umpires, you know, people complain that I don't argue with umpires. Umpires know how I feel about them. 
talking just like attorneys, just like barristers. There are good attorneys, and there are very average attorneys, and there are a lot of outstanding attorneys. And umpires and ballplayers fall in the same categories. I, I think the problem is in the, in the playoff and World Series right now, I think you have the two best clubs. I think what happens in the playoffs now with the system that they have, we don't always see the best umpires. There are a lot of good umpires. Well, you know, I take issue with that because in your office, I was wondering why you had that big picture of Dinkinger over your desk. Oh, uh, come on now. He, he's not that. He's, uh, he's a fan just because he lives in Iowa. You don't think he'd lean in our way. He's I don't probably, think so at all. He's probably as close to St. He lives as close to St. Louis as he does to Kansas City. I don't think he. I think it was a tough call. Uh, I don't think that I don't think the World Series. You know, people forget about Jack Clark didn't catch a pop fly over by the dugout. If their first baseman catches a pop fly over there, it was a tough play. The ball was in the stands at one time. Came back on the playing field. If he catches that ball, they don't have to That's worry right. about an umpire's call. Joaquin and Andahar, you're going to get to face them early, yeah. early in the season. Uh, you looking forward to? Well, you know, you know, to be honest with you, people ask me about scheduling and pitchers. If we're playing good, we can, we can, we can do good against anybody. We'll probably see him at least four times this year. That doesn't bother me. I feel sorry for Joaquin because he, he won 20 games faster than anybody in the major leagues last year. And what you saw in the seventh game of the World Series was a lot of frustration built up. They were expected to win. The Cardinals were 2-1 to one favorites. They got up on top of us 3-1. to one. They couldn't put us away in St. Louis. Andohar is a quality pitcher. So regardless if he's pitching for Oakland or St. Louis or the Yankees or Kansas City, he's going to win his share of ball games. I hope he's not too good because Oakland's going to be in one of the clubs that we have to beat. But we're looking forward to playing Oakland. They are expected. I've been reading reports from the West Coast in spring training. They're playing good, solid baseball out there. They expect to win in the West. Who's your pick if the Royals don't win? If I had to pick one, I would have to. I'm going to put some pressure on a good friend of mine, Chuck Cottier, with the Seattle Mariners. Mariners, I can't even pronounce their name. They uh, they beat us 10 out of 13 last year. And the, re the reason they beat us 10 out of 13, the first 11 games we played them, we scored 21 runs. Anytime a club beats us, that's the reason. We usually don't score runs. They didn't pound us to death. Three to one, three to two, two to one, one nothing ball game. I can't so believe I you don't score runs. Look at spring training. So I know far. it. I know it. Hey, don't don't bring that up. Now you're trying to do a nice interview here, Howard no, Cosell. No. <laughs> uh, Howard Cosell, you're not. Just, uh, just, have, a good, just have a good time in Sarasota. I've Mike, got, Mike, why did you send this guy down here to do this to me? I've got one more question. Okay. Is there any truth to the rumor that you and John Sherrills are going to flip-flop positions at the end of this year? And I've thought about that. Manager? I've thought about that. Anybody that can get a lifetime contract that started out as a school teacher in Baltimore, Maryland, and ends up with a lifetime contract about 15 years later, I think I'm in the well, wrong area. Mike and I have analyzed the whole team, and everybody but Dick Hauser has that lifetime contract. Does that make <laughs> you know what? I don't really want a lifetime contract. <laughs> I don't know what a manager's lifespan is. I don't want to know. No, really, I've got a contract through 88. That's fine with me. I think if a manager can't do it in a couple of years, he ought to move on anyway. But I do I do feel good about this ball club and this organization. John Sherrill is a great guy to work for. The owners are really hands-off kind of people, and, and that's a, you know entirely different from what I faced over at the Yankees in 1980. So I'm very tickled with this ball club and this organization. And once again, if we can stay healthy, and that's always a big if, Last year we dodged a bullet with George Brett and Frank White. They played an awful lot of ball games. And we didn't have many serious injuries. But the key is the pitching staff. We can't afford to lose too many of our great pitchers. But if we don't, we're going to be knocking on the door again in, in 80 seconds. Well, and I guess Billy Martin won't be knocking on your door. I don't know. You, uh, you know, and, and Dick Williams is knocking on some doors. we got a lot of ex-managers. There are all sorts of people. That's got, right. If I see Dick Williams at a ball game in, in the owner's booth, I'm going to know something. <laughs>
last pick. Thanks a lot for Jamie, taking time out and talking to us, and I appreciate it very much. Looking forward to seeing you back in Kansas City. I'll uh, probably spend a few days in Kansas City. Well, you usually do. I'm trying place. to get around and, and visit everybody. Well, we're going to turn around, and we got to beat somebody. We haven't won a game in a couple of days now. Well, you're they playing had a, a tough they had, team. Well, they had Dick Hauser Day over in West Palm, and we're old for Dick Hauser Day. We won, we're we're old, old four and one since Dick Hauser Day in West Palm Beach, Chamber of Commerce. That was a nice gesture, but it's put us in a hell of a slump. Well, I take my kids to the six-game World Series, and they still were cheering for the White Sox. I'll tell you another thing. I, I saw, I saw them last year on the ball field. They haven't improved. You haven't spent enough time with them right now. They're not even prospects. Great to see you again, Okay, Jerry, take care of yourself. Good okay, to thanks a lot. See you all back in Kansas City. So there you have it. The lighter side of Dick Hauser, the lighter side of baseball, an interview with a manager of the world champion Kansas City Royals, a man whose number was retired by the Kansas City Royals, along with only Frank White and George Brett, and a gentleman who really comes across as a genuinely good, good guy. We played that because it honors a gentleman who died way too early in life and uh, was just a favorite of mine and a, and a favorite person to, to be around. And I didn't have that many opportunities to be around. I, I did get the honor of spending a little bit of time with him uh, after the 1986 season when he continued to fight a good fight against his brain cancer and uh, was able to visit with him on a couple of occasions. And I enjoyed every opportunity uh, to to do that as he was genuinely a good person. And may he, may he rest in peace. And it's not often that um, you dig out an interview of a person like that, but I thought that it would be a treat at least for the listeners who are Kansas City Royals fans. And so, you know, it seems like a lot of my lighter side of baseball gets to be a little heavier than light. But at any rate, you know what? I enjoyed the interview. I enjoyed doing the interview. I enjoyed listening to the interview, watching the DVD, and, uh, you know, it's my show. And so I really hope you enjoyed it. I, I apologize for the wind but if you stuck with it, if you hung in there, you heard some really spectacular responses from, from Dick. And you got a little bit of a taste for the way baseball's changed. A few little nuances. If you caught it, there was a year or two when the Players Association and management were not exactly uh, in lockstep and we were coming up on... Uh, the horrible strike that canceled the World Series in a few years after this interview. And you notice that the rosters were reduced to 24, and it wasn't official yet, but Dick thought, and it turned out, that they did go north with the 24-man roster for the 1986 season. You'll also have the uh, good fortune of listening to Dick talk about going north with a pitching staff that included only nine pitchers. Nowadays, there's 12, 13 pitchers, and the uh, new rules that are supposed to come into effect next year will 
put a limit of 13 on the pitching staff. Dick mentioned his starting rotation, and wouldn't you love to have pitchers like this in the starting rotation for the Kansas City Royals this year? As Dick pointed out, Brett Saberhagen was the number one man. Charlie Liebrandt, the number two man, coming back with the big lefty. Number three was Mark Gubiza, a spectacular pitcher for the Royals and others, and now is a really good broadcaster in Los Angeles. The fourth pitcher was Buddy Black, who just got signed to an extension as the manager of the Colorado Rockies. And the fifth man was Danny Jackson. Now, interestingly, and again, I told you we had the Omaha Royals. Out of all these guys, and they all, with the exception of Lee Brandt, started in the Royals organization, only Danny Jackson appeared in a game for the Omaha Royals. Saberhagen, Gubaza, and Bud Black never made it to Omaha while we owned the team in 1985-1992. The owner of the AA Memphis Chicks was the person who was trying to buy the team from Mr. Kaufman, and so all the stars went to Memphis and didn't come to Omaha, much to the chagrin of my Uncle Gus, including... Yes, Bo Jackson. I begged Shareholds to send Bo just for a day or two. It would have, like, boosted our attendance beyond belief, but nope. Uh, nobody does baseball like Bo, but Bo didn't do Omaha. So anyway, that's the saga of that. But anyway, I enjoyed the, uh, the opportunity to play that interview on this podcast. And now, after... Two more World Series following that 1985 World Series that the Royals were in, myself and others as season ticket holders, have to appreciate what the Royals organization, and mostly through Mr. Kaufman and later uh, Mr. Glass, did to get into the World Series. There have been four of them since I started with my season tickets in 79, 1980, 1985, 2014 and 2015 with the world champion Royals in 2015. So as a season ticket holder, you can't ask for any more than that. And that's just what we get in 2019. Nothing more than that. It's going to be a miracle if the Kansas City Royals win more than 65 games this year. But hope springs eternal, and it is spring. The grass is greening up, as I said before, and we're going to have meaningful baseball in Kansas City on Thursday. The temperature is going to be in the 70s. There's a threat of rain. It's going to be windy, but it's going to be better than 50% of the opening days. And you never know. The Royals could get off to a hot start, and they could uh, end up winning a few games here in the month of May. Now, you heard Hauser talk about his powerful pitching staff, Saberhig and Lee Brandt. Danny Jackson, Gubaza, and Buddy Black. Well, compare that to Brad Keller, Jacob Junis, Jorge Lopez, Danny Duffy, and Homer Bailey. Wow, we're in deep trouble. The only thing comforting is there aren't that many good staffs in baseball after the Dodgers staff. 
So we'll see what happens. But at least with respect to this little podcast dealing with the Kansas City Royals and in the honor of Dick Hauser, we're going to go through uh, that rotation and talk a little bit about it. Brad Keller, never heard of him. Uh, Jacob Junis, I heard of him because he won a few games last year. Never heard of Jorge Lopez. Danny Duffy has had his ups and downs and has a big contract. And as is the unfortunate case with the Royals, they give big contracts and their guys get hurt. It never fails. It's never failed. They either get hurt or they get crummy. Uh, Sorry, Alex Gordon. Maybe you're going to have a good year. I'm hoping so. And I am looking at the last starter, Homer Bailey. Now, who in the world would name their kid Homer dreaming that someday he'd play Major League Baseball. And unfortunately for Homer, he's a pitcher. Now, can you imagine, you know, you're playing Little League Baseball and, you know, your coach asks everybody to introduce themselves because they went to different schools and he steps forward and says, yeah, uh, my name's Homer Bailey and, you know, come on. Uh and then all the way through high school and minor league baseball, Homer Bailey. I think there's a guy with that name in either Major League or Field of Dreams or um, Bull Durham. Uh, but anyway, I digress, as I usually do. So anyway, the Royals are going to, uh, I you know, they're not going to be very good. The um, projections are that um, Ryan O'Hearn, who I've never heard of, is going to play first base. Now remember... I kind of get involved in baseball. I have a podcast. I'm a season ticket holder for the Cubs and the Royals. I follow baseball. My wife would tell you that I'm over the top on baseball. And even though I'm not in Kansas City a lot, although I live here, there are these guys I haven't heard of. Uh, Hunter Dozier, really? He's the second-string first baseman. At second, Whit Merrifield. I've heard of Whit. Royals gave him a big contract, big contract extension, and during our next podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about these brilliant agents that have gone ahead and gotten extensions for their clients, as opposed to Boris and Machado's agent, who did a major disservice to those guys by screwing around like they did uh, with their negotiations. Then you got Alberto Mondesi, son of Raul, at shortstop, and someday... You know, maybe this is the day. He'll be good. And then you've got uh, Hunter Dozier or Chris Owings at third base. And I think Owings is a pretty good ball player coming over from the uh, Arizona D-backs. Left field, you got Alex. Well-paid Alex. Hopefully Alex will have a good year. I mean, he seems like a good guy. I don't know any of these guys, so it's just how he comes across. Uh, Jorge Soler is probably going to be the DH. I love Jorge. I'm praying that this guy has a good year. I've always liked him. I've always thought like he had a pretty good shot. And um, here's hoping that um, he does have a good 2019. Um, I was trying to see his spring training stats, but maybe we'll get to that another day. In center field, you got Billy Hamilton and Brett Phillips. I really like Brett Phillips. I think he'll be good. Hamilton's kind of the real deal for a mediocre team. And then Brian Goodwin in uh, in right field. And uh, that's it, boy. I mean, 
I don't know. They say they're fast. They say their speed's going to be great. But, you know, last time I checked, stolen bases were down across the board. The general overall managerial, managerial philosophy was don't run yourself out of outs. And uh, I don't know. But I'm going to be out there on opening day. I'm going to be at my tailgate at 11.30. I'm going to be firing up the grill. I'm going to be cooking cheeseburgers in paradise. I'm going to be cooking brats. And I'm going to start the fire off with a little Polska kielbasa. And generally speaking, it goes downhill after the tailgate. Now, why do you tailgate at Royal Stadium? Because the food inside isn't all that good. Now, I'm willing to see how it's turned around, but whenever they get a good product out there, they eliminate it. They used to have these cheesesteaks that were great. It was the only thing out there worth waiting in line for. They did away with them last year. They're gone. They turned the cheesecake uh, pavilion into a fancy $14 hot dog deal with a, you know, um brats and weird stuff that shouldn't cost 14 bucks. Then we're going to try sampling some of the food throughout the Air Royal Stadium and at other stadiums. And in my next podcast, I'm going to kind of give a preview of the first week of my involvement and where I'll be and what I'll be doing. So that's going to be fun. I'm hoping the Royals beat the White Sox this year. They lost the opener last year. I'm hoping it doesn't take an hour to get in the ballpark. I mean, Come on. I mean, it just shouldn't take that long to get in there. And uh, that's all I'm going to complain about. I'm looking forward to it. I'm pumped. I'm going to stay for the whole game. I'm going to wrap up nine innings and hope it doesn't go into an extra innings. I'm going to hope the Royals prevail. The White Sox are an improved ball club. They have gone out of their way to give some contract extensions uh, to some of their players, including Jimenez, who got optioned to the minor leagues, and then they gave him a long-term contract. So go figure. Um, I, I think the White Sox have had a rough offseason, and they're just trying to get rid of some of Jerry's money uh, before the season starts. I don't know. I can't figure it out. They, they were like a rejected uh, a person when they lost Machado. I don't think they could believe it, and uh, now they're trying to give away a little bit of money to their prospects, which I think is good, and uh, um, some of their guys like they did to Anderson last year. So that's all good. Uh, we'll get a little bit closer to the White Sox. We'll uh, try to get a um, brief interview with their owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, who's a friend, and uh, that should be interesting. We're going to have some fun interviews if they all pan out this year. There are going to be a lot of people that were friends with Dave. There are going to be some broadcasters, some owners, some people that he met along the way. And, uh, you know, we'll fit them in to the podcast when we can. So, like I said, this podcast was really featuring Dick Hauser. The next podcast uh, will be the 11th podcast, but I think we'll call it 10A just because we want to talk a little bit about Elston Howard, Sherm Lawler, and Ron Santo. So, there you have it. I want to conclude by just urging everybody, if you skipped over part of that Dick Hauser interview, go back and listen to it all. It's a rare opportunity to hear from a, a good guy 
a guy whose number was retired, a guy who managed the world championship team, and just an overall really nice guy in baseball in an era that's gone. You know, that that era in the 80s was an interesting time. There was a lot of unrest between the players and the owners. Uh, the World Series in uh, 85 was awesome because they beat the Cardinals. It was awesome because now that game would have been a different result with replay. But God love Don Denkinger. Another favorite piece of my memorabilia, when the Royals took up the AstroTurf, they cut it into sections and they gave each season ticket holder a little plaque with part of the stadium grass on it. Like you might see in, you know, the 90s, Tops and Bowman and Dunruss and Fleer, some of those card companies started like putting a piece of a uniform or a piece of a bat in a pack of baseball cards to try to get people to uh, to buy them. But they sent me this plaque with uh, <laughs> AstroTurf. And, you know, it had the Royals logo up there. And I had uh, it signed by none other than the umpire that won the 1985 World Series, Don Denkinger. And, of course, as Dick Hauser pointed out, the Cardinals had plenty of opportunities to overcome the umpire's decisions, and Dick was pretty positive about not blaming the umpires, and why wouldn't he be? Because without that blown call, the Royals would not have won, I hate to admit it. But it's even more sweet because it was against those dreaded St. Louis Cardinals. And at any rate, there you have it. From 1985, my favorite piece of memorabilia, my interview with a good guy, the late Dick Hauser, number 10 for the Kansas City Royals. And I thank you all for bearing with me, for bearing with that wind annoyance and listening to that interview because it's one of a kind and uh, one of my favorites. So until our next podcast... As we get close to opening day, we're going to talk next about some of the matchups for opening day. We're going to talk about where we're going to be in uh, that first week or two of the season. And I, for one, am pumped up. There's nothing better than the opening day of Major League Baseball on the face of the earth. It's great, and it's coming in a couple of days. So, until our next podcast celebrating the beginning of the 2019 campaign to the World Series. This is Jamie Retzke in Overland Park on the lighter side of baseball saying have a great night and we'll be with you in a couple of days. Thank you and go Cubs. Go Cubs.